Welcome to this week's Parsha Shir, sponsored by Aaron and Lillian Fuchs and Jason Fuchs. In memory of Lillian's brother and Jason's uncle, Jack Julius Glatter, Yaakov Yehuda ben Yitzchak, Zichroyne Lebrocho's yard site is on the 14th of Kislev. His neshama should have an aliyah, which would be Zeichet Sitchias Hamesim. It's Parshas Vayishlach. We're going to talk about um, the shenanigans and the difficulties and the challenges that are in Yaakov Avinu's life. He has to fear from his brother who is going to kill him. We don't see that Avraham Avinu ever feared for his life from his brother. He had brothers. There was never any threat that he would be killed by any of them. We know that Yitzchak Avinu had a brother, Yishmael. We have no um, record of Yitzchak ever being frightened that he was going to get murdered by his brother. And then we have the story of Yaakov and Esav. And there seems to be endless rivalry, but not the kind of rivalry that generally exists in a family between brothers who are vying for position, looking for to be favorites in their parents' eyes or anything like that. This is life-threatening rivalry, the type of rivalry which could result in Yaakov being killed. Why? Because Esau hated him and Esau was a murderer. That's what we're going to look at today. We're going to look at a beautiful piece of Nesivas Shalom. Hine Parshias Elu, he begins. These Parshias, these portions of the Torah that we have been reading in Bereshis. Shall say for Bereshis, Melamdois Lonu Urchas Derech Hashem. Do you know what they do? They teach us the ways of Hashem, what it is that Hashem wants from us, and how we should conduct ourselves during the course of our lives. Ukvar Omad al Kach, the Sefer Kodesh, told us Yaakov Yosef, Yosef, Be'inyonenu. And the fact is, told us Yaakov Yosef, I've mentioned the told us Yaakov Yosef before, he was an extraordinary Hasidic writer. He was the publisher of the very first Hasidic Sefer. In 1782, in Koritz, he published Toldus Yaakov Yosef. His name was Rabbi Yaakov Yosef um, uh, Hakoyen of Polnoy. It was in the Ukraine. He was a Talmud of the Baal Shem Tov, a contemporary of the Mezritra Magid. We're not aware of any of his descendants uh, inheriting his Hasidic mantle and the mantle of Hasidic leadership. However, he is the original source for us of the philosophy, the ideology, the theology of the Baal Shem Tov. So he's an extremely important resource for those who want to understand what it is that the Baal Shem Tov wanted in terms of having created a new movement within the from Jewish world that we today call the, uh, the world of Hasidus. It was a, a novel approach to Judaism and the Holtus Yaakov Yosef provides us with a glimpse. Uh, look, we can look through the window into the base medrash of the Baal Shem Tov through the words of the Toldus Yaakov Yosef. What does he say? He says, He says, what is it that we are going to see here in this parsha, in this chapter, in this episode that describes the meeting of Yaakov and Esau, and generally speaking, this story, this chapter in the narratives of, of uh, Bereshis that describe the relationship and the struggles in that relationship between these two brothers, Yaakov and Esau, these twins who were brought, born to Yitzchak and Rivka. 
Frankly, says the Toldus Yaakov Yosef, it doesn't apply to us at all. We don't have brothers who want to kill us. And we are not in a situation where we have the types of challenges that face Yaakov Avinu in terms of his relationship with his brother Esau. And that being the case, what possible relevance could these stories have? Why the, did the Torah include them? The Torah, which is very sparing in its, in its verbiage, we know that when it comes to halachic material in the Torah, every letter, not just every word, every letter counts. And therefore we need to understand why in the narrative portions of the Torah, it includes stories that seemingly are irrelevant to us. And particularly these stories of Yaakov and Esau. We know that the Torah is eternal. It teaches us, the Torah teaches us how we ought to behave, in which case, what are we to learn from this narrative, from this portion of the Torah? Says the told of Yaakov Yosef, he says, actually, the secret of these parashios, of the story between Yaakov and Esau, the underlying narrative, the piece that isn't described to us in obvious terms, but which is the most obvious interpretation of what these narratives are all about, is that it's, a, it's about the battle that exists between the two sides of the human condition. The side that we call the Yetzirah Horah and the side that we call the Yetzirah Hatoiv. That means there is an inclination within us that uh, wants to completely divorce ourselves from the spiritual, from God. It's called the Yetzirah Horah. And we have the Yetzirah Toiv, that part of us which wants to cleave to Hashem. It's the Neshama that wants to use every available avenue that we have in the physical material world to become closer to Hashem. These two vying forces, battling forces that exist within every human being are best analogized through the narrative of Yaakov and Esau. Yaakov obviously representing the Yetzer HaToiv and um, Esau represents the Yetzer Hara. So we, we have this dynamic of the battle that goes on within all of us is amply described by the stories of Yaakov and Esau fighting it out between them. So that's what the Toldus Yaakov Yosef says. A Jew has the opportunity to learn from this if he studies these narratives. Ways through this quagmire, through this very difficult situation that exists within all of us, how to emerge successful, how to emerge with the Yetzer HaToiv having vanquished the Yetzer HaRah. So now the, the uh, platform that's presented to us, that's provided for us by the Toldus Yaakov Yosef is going to be used by the Nesivas Sholem to really explain what was going on in these stories of Yaakov Avinu that we have last week's parsha 
and this week's parsha. We also need to understand, says the Nesiva Shalom, Let's be honest, of all the Ovois, the one that struggled the most, that had the most difficulties in their life, at least described to us in the Torah. By the way, it's possible that Avraham Avinu had difficulties in his life that we are not aware of because, the, as you know, the Torah is not a history book. And it could be the Yitzchok had struggles that we are not familiar with because the Torah is not a history book. But the point is that the Torah does describe to us the struggles, the difficulties, the challenges that faced Yaakov Avinu in great detail. And it almost seems as if his life was an endless series of challenges and struggles. Avakim. Even before he came into the world, even before he emerged um, as a born child, Kavar Hischilum Avakov Im Esav. He already had these terrible struggles with Esav. Already then he was struggling. He was trying to overcome through the struggle, overcome his brother Esav. Afterwards they had this difference or at least this this battle, this competition about who is the firstborn, and later on we know that they had this uh, challenging situation as to who would receive the blessings from Yitzchok. And after that, for 20 years, we know that Yaakov Avinu was in the home of Lovon, seven years for Rachel, seven years for Leah, and six years in which he was working for Lovon. We know that throughout that period of time, throughout those two decades, his life was challenging in the extreme as he battled it out with his evil, cunning, scheming father-in-law who wanted nothing more than to completely undermine him in every possible way. And he is a true representation of the alternative side of reality, at least for us, which we call the klipa. That means something that is entirely devoid, as it were, of the Shekhinah. The klipa is the polar opposite of what the Neshama seeks to associate itself with. Yaakov Avinu says to his father-in-law, do you know what a criminal you are? Do you know what a crook you are? I've been 20 years in your home. Seven years I worked for one daughter, seven years for another. Six years I was just working for you as someone who was running your affairs. I was the, the CEO of your agricultural concerns. And there was not... A time when you didn't try to outsmart me, outdo me, and to cheat me of what I was meant to be getting from you in the work that I was doing. And 20 times, up to 20 times, that's what it says here, you try to change my payment terms. Okay, so he managed to emerge somehow from the home of Lovon, comes back to Eretz Canaan, guess what? Now he's up against an army led by his hateful brother Esau, who is intent on killing him. And even before he meets Esau, 
even as he faces almost certain obliteration and extermination at the hands of Esau and his army, he has to fight with the Sar Shal Esau, and we know what happened there. He, he prevailed, but it caused him damage. Uh, he was damaged in his hip, in his thigh. We know that this uh, Sar Shal Esau was in fact the Sotan, was in fact the ultimate form of evil that can exist, that God has put into the universe, that we know that Yaakov Avinu had to battle it out against the force of evil that is the ultimate force of evil. We really need to understand all of these mavakim. We don't see Avram and Yitzhak having the same level of challenge in any of the events of their life as we see with Yaakov Avinu. Although they did face challenges, these were few and far between. They weren't the types of challenges that completely overwhelmed their life story. It seems that Yaakov Avinu never had a peaceful period in his life. He was challenged in every given situation. At every turn, he was uh, almost thwarted in his, in his journey. And that is something that's unique to Yaakov and something that we don't see by Avraham and Yitzchak. Says the Nishiva Shalom, there's something else that we need to explore. It says that Yaakov Avinu sent Malochim to Esau, his brother, um, who was from Art, from the Eretz Seir, stay Edoim, and he told them what to say. He gave them instructions as to how they should address um, Esau. Im on Garti. And he says that I, I, you know, I lived with Lavan. That's what that's what he tells the Malachim to say to Esau. And I've been delayed until now from returning to Eretz Canaan. In other words, he was offering some form of explanation as to why it was that he's been away from Canaan for so long. This was the message that he sent to Esau Ochiv, as it's referred to in the pasuk, to Esau, his brother. And the Malachim returned to Yaakov, Lamar, and they said, We went to your boy, we came to your brother, to Esau, and he is coming towards you. Yaakov was very frightened, he was gripped with fear. He says to Hashem, save me from the hands of my brother, from the hands of Esau. Now, did you notice something slightly different in these two references to Esau, as opposed to the original reference of Aishlach Yaakov Malochim? Says the Nesiva Sholem, If we look at the words, if we look at the phrasing of what it is that Yaakov Avinu presented to the Malachim to say to his brother Esau, it is El Esau Ochiv, Esau my brother, Esau his brother. The Esau comes first. 
But when we see that the Malachim came back, it's the other way round. Banu el al Esav, to your brother, to Esav. Not to Esav, your brother, but to your brother, to Esav. Mikoidem achicha v'acha kach, Esav. First they put the word, your brother, achicha. And afterwards, they put the, the word Esav. And immediately, Yaakov hears what they're saying. What does he do? He says as follows. He says, um, he also flips the wording around. And instead of saying, He says, And all of this requires an explanation. We need to know why this wording was swapped around. Why the word Ach comes after Esau in the introduction and why later on it comes before Esau um, in, in first of all in what the Malachim said to him and later on in his prayer to Hashem for, um, for, to be saved. So first explanation is as follows. We're going to have two explanations and this is the first. Let's understand who Yaakov Avinu was. Yaakov Avinu deserves special attention. He, des- he deserves, or at least we would expect to see that he gets more attention than the other Avais because he is known as the Bechir Avais. He is the chosen one of the patriarchs. He is the most significant of all the patriarchs. Why? Because all of his children are the fathers of the Jewish nation. He may have been the forefather, but they are the, uh, the originators of each tribe of Israel, and therefore as opposed to Abraham, who had several children, but we know of Yitzchak and we know of Yishmael, only Yitzchak is the one to carry forward the, um, the plan for the Jewish nation. So we discard Yishmael in that respect. And then Yitzchak has Yaakov and Esau. So we know that Yaakov is the one to carry the plan forward. Esau is at least for this intent, he is discarded. But when it comes to Yaakov, there is no one who is discarded from that list. All of the Shiftei Ka. All of the 12 tribes, the 12 sons of Yaakov, become the fathers of the Jewish nation. He is the Bechira Ovais. And that is why that the, the um, Jewish nation is never referred to as the Jewish nation until much later in history. How are we referred to? We're always referred to with the word Yisrael involved. Whether it's Bnei Yisrael, Klal Yisrael, Knesset Yisrael, the word Yisrael, Israel, is always associated with the Jewish people. Why would that be? Because Yaakov Avinu's name is Yisrael and he is the Bechir HaAvais. He, he is at the top of the pyramid, as it were, of the Jewish nation. It begins with him, goes to 12 tribes, they all have children, etc., all the way through down to us. And whereas he, above him in the pyramid, is Yitzchak, but Yitzchak has another child, and that other child has his own children that we've seen described. And above Yitzchak is Avram, and Avram has another child, Yishmael, and all of his children are in that family tree. But when it comes to Yaakov Avinu, he is named Yisrael, and all of the Jewish nation throughout history is referred to as Israel, the Israelites, the Bnei Yisrael, Klal Yisrael, etc. 
the Hatorak Doisha, Kosva Parshis Elusham Avokov Shel Yaakov, Hamelamdois Torah Shalema Levonov Shel Yaakov. The reason why we have much more information regarding Yaakov and all the struggles he went through is because this is meant to give us, as it were, a complete instruction manual of how we are to conduct ourselves as the descendants of Jacob, the descendants of Israel. Because you have to know that the life of every Jew is, is part of the struggle of Yaakov Avinu. We carry forward that struggle. We have the struggles that existed for Yaakov Avinu. We have them in our own lives. And therefore the struggles of Yaakov Avinu are relevant to us. They are pertinent to our lives because we struggle with the Koichais Hara and the Koichais Haklipa. We struggle with the forces of evil and the forces of the husk, as it's referred to in the Kabbalah, the outer edge of the material world, which is completely devoid of any type of godliness and spirituality. The sci-fi, and at the end, Shemikol Elu Mehamavakim Hu Tomit Im Revochim. And the fact is, at the end of all these stories of the struggles, if you look at the stories, he always emerges uh, having profited, having having benefited. That's what the word Revochim would best be translated as. He has benefited from the struggles that he has gone through. So when he fought with the Sar Shel Esau, what happened? At the end of it, the Malach says to him, the angel, the Sar Shel Esau says to him, don't worry, now that it's over, I want to tell you something really important. Your name is no longer going to be Yaakov, your name is going to be Yisrael. Why? Because... Because you have fought, you have struggled, you have been challenged by and engaged in fights with God and with people. Somehow all of these struggles have made you who you are, because you've always emerged victorious. All of the different battles, whether it's in the spiritual sphere or whether it's in the physical sphere, somehow you've always managed to emerge victorious. You are Yisrael. You are a Vatuchal person. And that's who you are. So you might think, what's the point of the struggle? But as they say in English, no pain, no gain. If he wouldn't have gone through those struggles, he could never have been Yisrael. And therefore, he could never have been the father of what we refer to as Bnei Yisrael or Klal Yisrael or Knesset Yisrael. The word Yisrael is only, was only invented as a result of the experiences of his struggles. That's who Yaakov Avinu was. The and that's true to, of all the struggles that Yaakov Avinu went through. He always emerged with benefit, having benefited from the experience. And from this, every Jew can learn. We have all got a lesson to learn from this. Because every Jew needs to realize that their lives are going to be full of such struggles. Every day you're going to wake up in the morning, you're going to feel, oh, I'm so positive, I feel good about myself, about Hashem, about the, and then you're going to 
you're going to encounter a challenge. Some challenge is going to come your way and suddenly it's going to distract you from your true purpose, from your true journey, from the correct path. And how are you going to deal with that struggle? So you're going to overcome it. You're going to say, I'm not going to do this thing which has come my way, which is going to drag me away from my relationship with Hashem. And how are you going to emerge from that struggle? You might think during the struggle, why is Hashem testing me? But after having emerged from that struggle and you have prevailed, you'll be a better person. You will have emerged with what the Nesiva Shalom refers to as Revochim, with benefits. And in these parashiyas, last week, Vayetze, and this week, Vayishlach, where we see Yaakov battling it out with first Lovon and later on with Esau, we can all learn lessons of how we ought to conduct ourselves in the midst of the struggles that we all face. You're going to see the Nasiva Sholem describes it beautifully. We all face these challenges. Don't think that you are immune from them. You're not immune from them. Yaakov Avinu had certain immunities as we're going to see, but ultimately we are all going to be challenged. Wherever we are on the map, we are going to be challenged by a Lovon and by an Esau. It's a fact and we need help and we need assistance and we need siyata dishmaya in order to emerge, to prevail, to be victorious. But when we do, we emerge with revochim. We become reflections. We become echoes. All of these many millennia later of Yaakov Avinu, of the foundational figure of the Jewish nation, the Bechir HaAvais, the main one of all of the patriarchs whose image is emblazoned on the Kiseh HaKovoid, on the, on the heavenly throne of God Himself. So we continue with the Nesiva Sholem. We'll learn from Lavon and from Esau what it is that we need to focus on, what it is that we need to be afraid of, and how we can overcome those challenges. How Yaakov did it will be an example to us. You know that once something has happened once, it can happen again. Once Yaakov has been the trailblazer in beating back a Lavon and having um, been victorious against Esau, we have have the opportunity to do the same thing. So let's start with Lovon. Although this is only relevant really to Parshas Vayetze, nevertheless, if we're going to discuss the Mavakim of Yaakov Avinu, it makes sense to discuss it in terms of both Lovon and Esau. Let's take a look at Lovon. Lovon is somebody who represents a pagam in the moyach, some disability in the brain. It's a spiritual disability. It doesn't mean that you are mentally defective. It means that your brain is not functioning at a spiritual level. You have views, you have ideas that uh, are, uh, that run counter to what it is you should have as a person who has faith. We're talking about denying God, heresy, and um, somehow lacking in faith in Hashem. And we know this because Lavan possessed these idols, these graven images that were stolen by his daughter. You know that when Rachel left, she took them away and he never found them, even though he came to look for them. But they were a representation of his belief in heretical, in 
God-denying sources of whatever he thought that they were, but he did not believe in God. He was a pagan. That is a pagam in the Mayach. He both denied the divinity of God and he denied that there is such a thing that God guides your life and is directly involved in your individual journey. He says to Yaakov Avinu, these boys, these sons, as you call them, are mine. They're my children. And these daughters, they're my daughters. And everything that you see, it's mine. What was he saying? What is it the code for? What is Lovan actually telling Yaakov Avinu? Says the Nesiva Shalem Shekofar Banhogoha Elyoina. He totally denied that there was any kind of divine involvement in all of the um, things that uh, his family had, whether it was in terms of offspring, children, boys, girls, whether it was in terms of the possessions that they owned, it had nothing to do with God. It had everything to do with him. He believed that only through the strength of his work and his brilliance and his ability and his talent and his whatever it was, whatever you're going to call it, he was the one who had amassed all of these uh, people, these uh, possessions in terms of his children and uh, grandchildren and in terms of his material possessions. Love on. It was all about him. Ego. It's all about me, me, me. There's no such thing as God. There's only love on in the equation. And that's what it means when the, um, the Chazal interpret the uh, the, you know, we say it every year in the Haggadah, Pesach, that Lavan wanted to destroy Hakoil, everything. What is Hakoil? What does he talking about? He wanted to destroy everything. What does it mean he wanted to uproot everything? Hakoil. Marumaz Bazer al Shehi Hakoil says the Nesiva Shalom, this means the word Hakoil is a code word for Emuna. Because if you believe that everything that you have, comes from Hashem, if you have complete faith that your success is totally down to God's involvement in your life, then Hakoil is Hashem. It's automatic. A Jewish person believes that whatever they have, whatever they own, however successful they are, is only as a result of, of God being involved with them. You worship God with Amuna. Because if that's your belief system, it doesn't, it doesn't matter if you're rich or poor, it doesn't matter if you have many children or few children, it's whatever, or no children, or you weren't successful in the thing that you tried to do, whatever it is, or you're extremely successful, either way, whatever it is that comes your way is always from Hashem. It is the basis of emunah. Everything that happens in your life and whatever you do every day, you live the life of Emunah, you live a life of faith. It's accompanied at every stage of the way by this concept of Emunah. And if you look, whatever you look at, whichever way you turn, you're always saying, Baruch Hashem, fantastic, Hashem provided me with all of these things. What was Lavon's intent? He wanted to totally undermine this concept. He wanted to do away with it. He wanted to say, don't be ridiculous. God has nothing to do with it. He wanted to be, um, he wanted If you want to know what Lovon's intention was, what his ultimate goal was, he wanted to totally uproot this concept of faith, of belief in God 
from the heart of every Jew. If you want to know the absolute opposite, the love on way of doing things is to deny God's involvement in everything and to lack faith, to not believe in faith as um, as a foundation for what's going on in your life. It's and it totally undermines the hakoil in a Jew. He calls man If you want to know something, and this is really important. I know the Nesiva Shalom said this has said this before in other contexts, but here he presents it to us again. If you want to undermine a Jew, just take take away his emuna. That's all you need to do. If you take away his muna emuna, you will have destroyed the Jew. For as long as a Jew believes in Hashem, even if he's going to have sinned in every, in every possible way, he's a sinner. Why? We're going to see there's a, such a thing as a sinner, a, a somebody who's, who's a choite, but he does it only because he can't help it. He wants those things. That's going to be a description of Esau. But he doesn't do it because he lacks emunah. Then there's hope. That means, see, Lovon wanted to eradicate that hope. But if somebody does things and has emunah in Hashem at the same time, he's doing that Avera, but there's a part of him that's ashamed, that's embarrassed, that knows he's doing the wrong thing, then he has hope for the, for the future. Yeshle adayin tikkun. There is hope. There is some possibility of repairing himself, of doing the right thing, of doing teshuva, of coming back to what he needs to be or she needs to be. If somebody gets infected, that's the word, infected with this bug, with this sickness of God denial, of heresy, there's no way uh, there is absolutely no way of returning from any of the aspects of his life that he has done wrong. If you sin and you don't believe in Hashem, why would you ever regret it? Why would you ever do Teshuva? And in this, um, in this sense, Lovon wanted to destroy everything. He wanted to eradicate, to undermine, to completely obliterate this concept of, of emuna. Remove faith from Yaakov, he has been successful. Because even if Yaakov does a mitzvah at that stage, it's not really a mitzvah because he doesn't believe in Hashem. You have changed that which um, you should have paid me. You've changed it ten times. You have totally uh, undermined my ability to function, to operate, because you keep on changing the rules. You keep on changing the goal, moving the goalposts so that I cannot operate. All of the ten attributes, characteristics of a human being are represented in emuna. Emunah touches on every facet of the human existence. And if every one of those facets has become infected by a lack of faith, by a, a vacuum of faith, then the human condition or that person's ability to function as a person of faith has 
been obliterated, has been destroyed. And that's what it means when Yaakov sent Esau a message. He said, Im Lovon Garti, I lived with Lovon. And as the Medrash says, Vatariag Mitzvah Shamarati, I observed all of the mitzvahs. There was not one mitzvah that I didn't observe. And we've discussed this in a previous share that I've given on this topic. What does it mean when Yaakov Avinu says he kept all of the 613 mitzvahs? Obviously, can't mean that he kept all of the 630 mitzvahs because they're not all relevant to one individual. But he's giving over an, a conceptual idea. There is not one mitzvah where I have a pagam in my emuna. There's not one element of my faith uh, relationship with God that has been affected by your incredibly determined attempts to undermine them. I am as strong in my faith now, he's telling Esau, as I was before I went to the house of Lavon, despite his determined efforts to remove faith from my life. The clipper of Lavon was not able to infect me, was not able to affect me in any way. Uh, and the, the, my emunah is as clear and as uh, straightforward and as complete now as it was even before I went there. He wasn't able to distract, to move my hand, to, to change my, in, my way of doing things in the smallest way even at any point during my 20 years with him as Tariag Mitzvah Shomarati. That's what it means. I lived with Lovon and it didn't make any impact on my emunah. That's what he's telling Esau. The Oid Efshel of Farish, we can also interpret it slightly differently. Indian Klipas Lovon Shomar Habonais Benoisai Vabonim Bonai Vekolashatoroyalihu. When he said that the sons are my sons, the daughters are my daughters, and everything that you see is mine. You know, the Berdichever, Rebbe Yitzchak, said once about a Baldin, somebody came before him, somebody came to him and said, listen, I'm, I may not be the Rebbe, but I'm, I'm a partner with you in everything that you do. Why? Because I'm always around. Because of everything that I do, says the Berdichever, the truth is, he is there, he's always in shul, he comes to my house, he does it. And so he says, listen, I'm the same as you. Why am I different? I'm a, I'm a partner in everything that you do. I listen to your shurim. So you may have done the learning to prepare the shir, but I listen to your shir. So I'm no different than you. And I daven in the same shul. So you may be davening with more kavana than me, but I'm davening alongside you. So I'm your partner in davening. I'm also, I'm, I'm, have this superior approach to Yiddish guy. Why? Because you're a super chosid. You're somebody who's lifnim mishura sadin, and you believe in the concept of chasidus. You're an idealist. Therefore, I must be an idealist. Why? Because I'm here. I live in Badichev. I'm a member of your community. And therefore, I'm no different to you. That's what the Badichev has said. Obviously, tongue-in-cheek. But he has a point to make. Says the Nesiva Sholem. There's a part of the Yetzirah that actually infects, becomes like a tiny root of infection in Kodshim. It, and it can, uh, it can be a psal. It can, it can undermine the 
Kodshim, it can undermine the spirituality here referred to in terms of Korbanos. But if, if there's a part of the Yetzirah that is a partner of everything good that you do. There is a part of you, even when you're doing a good thing, that does the good thing, because, and there's some bad involved. It's, it's somehow, it's not entirely good. You're, let's say you're critical of somebody. The reason you're critical is because you don't like them. And the truth is they did something very wrong. And it's very important for that person to be exposed as a wrongdoer. But there's there's a bias on your part because you've never liked that person. Or you're somebody who, who when you do a mitzvah, you're doing a mitzvah because you want to show off. So you're a show off, you're a balgaiva. So the part of the mitzvah that's the balgaiva is is from the Yetzirah. It's not from the Yetzirah. You're still doing the mitzvah. You're shaking the most beautiful lulav and estrog in the whole shul, but there's a part of you that's patting yourself on the back saying, see, my lulav and estrog is much nicer than everybody else's. I'm di-. So that's that's part of it. That's the Yetzirah, part of the doing of the mitzvah. It's misarev. It mixes, it's, it's mixed up in the mitzvah that you do. Because you have the wrong thoughts when you do it, or the wrong intentions. You're not quite as pure in your intentions as you should be when you do that mitzvah. The yesh chomor mizen. There's something even worse. Mashel lovon bikesh lakras hakor. What does it mean when it says that lovon wanted to destroy everything? Shemavakesh lakar chas v'sholem es kol chelik atoyv shel yehudi. He wanted through his partnership with the person that's doing good to destroy everything that's good within them. Not only that he mixed ra bad with toiv with good, but he implants within the person the root, the the and therefore the control of the evil. Until everything good that that person does, actually the foundation is evil and therefore it becomes totally evil. You've got people, by the way, who look as if they are the biggest tzaddikim. And they're learning. And they're davening. And they're doing all the mitzvahs. And they're fully religious, fully observant in every possible way. But the essence of it is from the wrong root. They're not doing it for the right reasons. They're doing it because they want to make an impression or because they feel that uh, what they're saying is going to make them look good and going to make other people feel bad. And ultimately, there's no element of the mitzvah that they're doing that's being done for the right purposes. There's no element of the mitzvah that's based in Yetzirah HaToiv. It's all based in Yetzirah Hara. You know that uh, there's a story, it's in... It's in the, uh, the Sipurim of the Baal Shem Tov, the stories about the Baal Shem Tov. He once walked into a shul in Podolia. He was on one of his many journeys. He traveled throughout his life. He loved to go from one community to another. And he walks into a shul. It's a beautiful shul. And he says, you know, this shul is full of tfilos. And everybody was so happy. He says, no, no, you misunderstood me. What I'm saying is it's full of tfilos because none of the tfilos in here were meant l'shem shamayim. Therefore, they never left the shul. They're still here. They're not in shamayim. In other words, none of your prayers ever had the effort that was put into them that would elevate them to the heavenly realms. And therefore, even though you think you prayed, you said Shemani Esrei, you said Shema, you said whatever it is you said, that all those prayers remained, as it were, down here in the physical realm, in the material realm, and never made its way into the heavens. That's sa- that sad aspect 
of people who feel that because they're doing the right thing and therefore their intentions don't count and what happens is they do the mitzvah but the mitzvah isn't really a mitzvah because it's rooted in bad it's rooted in the wrong place it's not rooted in avoidas hashem it's rooted in personal motives that have nothing whatsoever to do with god and that's what the nasiva shalom is saying here about lovon he's saying that um Lovon wants to totally uproot everything. The entire basis, the foundation of good that exists within a Jewish person, that's what Lovon wants to do. Not only does he mix Ra with Toiv, he makes the Ra the primary force behind everything good that the person does until there is no good. It's all bad. In other words, Lovon is saying, you see all of this, you think that this is all from the good? Not at all. This is all rooted in evil. I'm in charge here. I'm the one who has taken charge. I live in the material world and I have managed to completely overwhelm any aspect of good, any aspect of positivity that may exist. Because I have got evil intent. I deny the existence of God and I, I deny and I don't allow the service of God. It's possible. I have to tell you it's possible. It's possible that, every, that somebody can daven every tefillah and learn and have completely the wrong intentions. This sounds very musari. It's not very Hasidic. But it's, it's musar based on Hasidus. In other words, and, and which makes sense because Slonim was at the heart of the world which was steeped in Musar. It was much closer to the uh, Lithuania, Lithuanian, Litvish center of gravity than it was to the Hasidish center of gravity. And the Slonim Rebbe very often strays into the world of Musar even if he's expounding Hasidus. And here we have such an example because what we're seeing here is that the Nesiva Shalom is saying that the it may have the appearance of good, but actually it's bad. And with this, he wants to completely undermine and destroy everything. <coughs> what Lover wants to achieve is that everything that is good is totally built on a foundation of evil. That this side of Lovon is very furtive because it doesn't tell you to do a bad thing. What it does is it tells you you're doing something good, but the source of that good is from an evil place. I want to now move on to the next piece so that I finish within the hour. I want to move on to the next piece, which talks about Esau, because of course this week is the parsha of Yaakov and Esau. Last week was parsha of where we spoke about Lovon and Yaakov. This week is the parsha of Esau. So so far we've talked about a mummer lahachis. So Lovon is a mummer lahachis. 
somebody whose only intention is not to tell people not to do mitzvahs, but to tell people that even if you do mitzvahs, don't believe in Hashem. He wants to undermine faith. He wants to undermine emuna. But Esav is a representation of something completely different that we're all familiar with. A mummer ovain. Somebody who doesn't deny God so that they can say, I've got some different theological view or I don't believe in the existence of God. I'm an atheist. Uh, I'm an agnostic or something like that. I can believe in God, but I want to do Averis. I enjoy Averis. My life is steeped in sin. That's what I want to do. That is what Esau represents. Lovon represents one side of the challenge that we face as Yaakovs in this world, and Esau represents another side of what it is that we face as Yaakovs. It's Tavis, it's the inclinations that we have, the things that we want, everybody has them. Some people, it's in one area of their human condition, other people, it's in another area of their human condition, but ultimately, we all have it. We all have these weaknesses, this human frailties that exist in our lives. He's known as the red one. Why? Red is, is symbolic of blood, blood that pumps through the system. You know, somebody, we call them in English, hot-blooded. They do all kinds of things, not because necessarily they don't believe in God, but because they're impulsive. And that hot-bloodedness is what drives them to do the wrong thing. Because every part of their existence drives them in the direction of doing the wrong thing because they have the desire to do the Averis, whatever they may be. And we see that Esau is referred to in Chazal in this way. He's, he, they talk about all the terrible things that Esau did. It's not mentioned in the Torah. We don't know from the Torah's narrative that Esau was so evil. But Chazal fill in the gaps. And they tell us that Esau was somebody, there was no Avera that Esau hadn't done. And this is the key point. This side of Esau is divided into two parts. And that's what it means when it says, save me from my brother, save me from Esau. What is it talking about? There's one which is very straightforward. There's a clipper that comes along and says, do an Avera. Just do an Avera. That's a Yetzara. You know, you've got, uh, you're passing by McDonald's, go and eat treif meat. Go and eat meat and milk, you know, bosov acholov. That's a straightforward Avera that you should do. That's an Esav Avera. There's a different type of Avera. It's a much more common type of Avera where you're driven to do things which, on the face of it, are permitted. There's nothing wrong with doing those things. I can do them. They're allowed. But by doing them, you're distracting yourself from your true path. Uh, you know, I, I think we're all very familiar with these things. Yet whatever it may be, it may be in terms of food. You've never eaten treif in your life, but you cut corners and, you, and you're spending time eating when you should be doing other things. Or it could be that, you know, you're on your phone. I mean, that's the modern version of this um, Yad Ochi uh, version of Esau. You know, the phone is a distraction. I'm in shul, I should be davening, but I'm busy texting, I'm WhatsApping, and I'm looking at my phone. 
Is there anything wrong? Is it an Avera? Are you not allowed to look at your phone in shul? I mean, there's nothing in the Shulchan Aruch about smartphones and looking at smartphones in shul, even distractions in shul. But are you doing the right thing? That is a Miyad Ochi Avera. That's an Avera which you could say to Tzad Heter, I've done nothing wrong. I'm not anti-God. I'm not an agnostic. I'm not an atheist. I'm not even somebody who's doing an Avera. I'm not playing with my phone on Shabbos. What are you talking about? I'm a Shemesh Shabbos. I'm 100% Shemesh Shabbos. I would never touch my phone on Shabbos. But during the week, it comes to shul. I feel my phone buzzing in my pocket. I look at my phone. Somebody te- It's very important. If I don't reply to the text right away, who knows what's going to happen? What do you mean, who knows what's going to happen? Ten years ago, nobody texted you because you didn't have a smartphone. There was no such thing. Twenty years ago, for sure, there was no such thing as a phone that you could text replies. And you certainly would never have brought a phone to shul because no such thing as a cell phone. People didn't have cell phones 30 years ago. And 40 years ago, you were lucky if you had a phone at home. And now you've got a phone in shul and you're taking it out. And you should be doubling. You should be saying Shema with Kavona. You should be saying Bikrash Kriya Shema with Kavona. You should be saying Psuke de Zimra with Kavona. Or you come in late to shul because you're busy with your phone. Just giving you one silly little example of something which you could say is completely heter. It's completely mutter. You're totally allowed to do it. And yet it is a side of Esau. It's a side of a mumer lete'ovoin. You're not somebody who's a balavera. But are you somebody who's aspiring to be closer to Hashem? This is a side that Yaakov Avinu suddenly discovered was much more frightening than Yad Esau. Hatzileni nomi Yad Ochi mi Yad Esau. Yad Ochi comes first. Because what happened was is that the Malachim come back, and in fact, we see it when Esau and Yaakov finally meet up. That Esau is quite friendly to Yaakov Avinu, and he wants him to accompany him wherever he's going. And Yaakov Avinu says, I can't. What is he most frightened of? Initially, he was frightened that Esau is going to be Esau. But later on, he's frightened that Esau is going to be Achiv. So at the beginning, he says, Vayishach Malochim el Esav Ochiv, because Esav comes first, says Nasiv Shalom, but when they come back, is Hatzileni no miyad Ochi miyad Esav. And I think, you know what, that's the part that's most relevant to us in the Esav sphere. And in these two parashiyos of Vayetze and Vayishlach, but generally speaking, in the struggles that we see that Yaakov Avinu had to contend with, the thing that's most concerning is the thing that seems most innocent. Miyad Ochi is the part of Yaakov's challenges and our challenges, because as descendants of the Bechir Ha'avais, we are faced with the very same challenges in every aspect of our lives. And we may be faced with the challenge of Kfira, but that's less likely. We may be faced with the challenges of doing Averis that we shouldn't do, that we know are Averis, And hopefully that's less likely too. The one that we need to be most frightened of and most conditioned to deal with is to be saved. Save me from that which seems innocuous, that seems innocent, but which could threaten my equilibrium in terms of my relationship with Hashem. We'll leave it here for today. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you for watching.